Speaking of reliability, a podcast with good friends talking with you about reliability engineering topics. Welcome to Speaking of Reliability. This is Fred Schenkelberg. And this is Kirk Gray. Hey, Kirk. According to our master schedule and, and, and listing of episodes and stuff like this, this episode um, should be episode 805, which I think is a, a freeway in L.A. that's usually <laughs> jammed all up all the time, uh, uh-huh. which is just coincidence. And it's scheduled to come out on Halloween. <gasps> and so I thought, you know, the last time I recognized that it was coming out on Halloween was a uh, evening meeting I was involved with for uh, reliability discussions. And we'd had, you know, local people bring in papers and, and presentations and discussions and stuff. And it landed on Halloween. So we, we had first, we had no idea if anybody would show up, but we promised to have candy available. <laughs> they were all out <laughs> trick or treating. Huh? Yeah. Yeah, okay. So we promised to have candy available. So in our, in our, ad for it but it was uh it was we named it uh horror stories and we had everybody come in sign an nda basically saying that, that they won't talk about anything that they hear in the room because a lot of this stuff is stuff that's never going to get published and so to was it enjoyable meeting we had a blast we were laughing it was a lot of all you think that's bad listen to this one and it went on and on and on so i can't relate any of the stories in there but it was just um poor management decisions bad practices you know oh that'll never happen and then it happens you know on big scale and you know just on and on and on yeah that can't happen yeah. Famous last word. Famous last word. Yeah. Here, yeah. hold my beer. <laughs> <laughs> That'll never happen. That'll yeah, never happen. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And you know, they're they're a good reliable supplier. They'll never lose their process control. Oh, right. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Okay. Uh, okay. Yeah. Well, you know, we talk about gremlins. <laughs> we do. And and bugs. I mean, the idea of software bugs is just the, you know, creature crawled. I actually did that one time is I got called down to the shipping dock, the receiving dock mm-hmm. uh, when I was working at HP with the inkjet printers. And somebody said, you're not going to believe how this one failed. And they were in the process of extracting a very large rat that had been electrocuted <laughs> because it decided to chew on like the circuits in the power supply. And, well, that's and, where the term computer bug came from. But yeah, it was, it was actually uh, it was a, uh, Mad Admiral, she was, um, she was the, um, I forget her name, I'm sorry, but she actually found a bug, an uh, 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 insect in, in a, uh, I think an old, old type uh, computer system. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was, you know, that's what she called a bug. So yeah. it became labeled now, uh, for now and forevermore, uh, anything that causes a failure in, I think it's software. Primarily software. Is Primarily you software. It. But you, you hear it every now and then in right. other places. But yeah, mostly software. They call it a bug. Remember Paul Parker showing a rat in a in a in a power supply, and yep. shorting it out, and and they're known, of course, they've caused several electrical problems in the world. Uh, chewing through cables and getting into transformers. Well, I saw an image on LinkedIn a few months ago, and I wish I would have kept it. It was this uh, electrical box like at a factory. And yeah. And it had this great big massive snake 
curled up in it. <laughs> it's like, okay, you check the wires, George. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of scary. Yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah, but I I remember when I was I worked at Raychem uh, years and years ago, and they had a, their own power substation because we did some pretty massive amounts mm -hmm. of of uh, energy use in the production facilities we had there. And a squirrel decided to leap across two electrodes in a uh, the live and neutral in a substation. <laughs> and that was the end of the squirrel. <laughs> yeah, there wasn't yeah. much left. They, they were identified bar, par, parts of it. Charged yeah. there. It was like, and then it knocked out the substation. And yeah. so, you know, and at that point, when the power goes out, you know, and we're starting to use computers, we all sat around the hallway going, mm, okay, now what do we do? Well, let's hold a meeting. Well, I don't have my PowerPoint you know, kind of thing. Yeah. What did the people in the old days do? It's hard to protect, you know, some, it's like, oh, you know, think of those things that a, that a rat or a mouse or, or some kind of insect might get in there. And, you know, it's kind of classic with power supplies. And I remember stereos, uh, there was some substance on circuit boards that I know the cockroaches loved. I would yeah. Occasionally well, there's a, um, the power meters, the electric power meters. Uh -huh. um, there's a I worked with a company that makes these things briefly, and and one of the things they were um, struggling with was in areas where they don't get a hard freeze on the ground. Yeah, um, they can bury the they put the the power lines are buried in, right. in suburbs and other places, and they put the meter in the ground because it's not going to freeze. And, and I don't know right. how in northern climates we put the meters on the side of the house, which we know is going to freeze. But I guess it's well the, the ground freeze. movement and yeah. stuff like that. But anyway, they would put it in a in a subterranean, you know, enclosure and be just below the ground, basically. Mm -hmm. And they were having all these problems because the insulation uh, on the outer insulation to keep moisture out and the inner insulation to keep moisture out of the electronics was all getting chewed away. Uh huh. And it took them a while to figure out that it was fire ants. <laughs> the one particular species of ants, which are prevalent in Texas, as you know, yes, um, they love, they are attracted to um, electromagnetic radiation. Hmm. So when you put a little E-field there, right, you're hmm. passing current through and, and it makes a little field and they have the, their meter there that creates a, a an antenna, essentially. Very low power, you know, very low power, low stuff, but these things would just want to get as close as they could to it. So they chew through everything to get to it. Interesting. And, and then they told me about there was a lab in Austin that does fire ant testing. That's what the lab does. Can you imagine? <laughs> <laughs> hey, look, these guys are hungry. Let's get something yeah, for them. Group. <laughs> right. Well, gosh, Fred, that, that sounds like it could be turned into a, a fire ant um, trap, you know, for the future. I mean, you did something. I don't know why that wasn't invented then. If that was, if that's all true, that we didn't use those to attract fire ants into into traps because they are a constant problem. They were a big problem in Texas. And oh, I know. And I, I, you know, I've run across them on, on occasion when I was in the army and I was like, no, nope, I'm out of here. This, these yeah, things are, they, luckily I can move faster than they can. Right. More they, distance, they, they hurt. They hurt. That's yeah. for sure. <laughs> but yeah. Can you imagine running a lab for that and going, did you leave that door open? <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. We lost all our fire ants, you know, whatever. But there's, but there are tests for all kinds of like fungus. Uh, I know some military right. tests they are looking right. for, Fun, various and it's specific kinds of fungus um 
Right. I remember right. one time I, I was doing a test. It was for a product that was handheld and would, is like a phone, but not a phone, but it would be held up to your face. And and so one of the chemicals they wanted, the, the team wanted to test uh, was perfume, you know, an aftershave <laughs> and perfume. So I, I went online, wow. right? I went to the library basically and, and I asked around, what is the... I mean, there's thousands of perfumes. What element in which perfume is the one that causes the most problems with finishes and, and skin irritation and stuff like that? Yeah, yeah. And, and it was consensus. It was uh, Red Arden Number no. 5. And I don't even know if it's still around anymore, but it was not an expensive perfume, but it was that was the the poster child. And I think it was banana boat sunscreen was the other one for sunscreen. I mean, there were certain ones that were just, they would eat through anything. And I'm like, and they sell this over the counter. Really? Yeah. No, this stuff was horrible. It was, you know, Coca-Cola has its own bit of acidity, right? It's part, it does all this stuff and then it gets all sticky and gummy and stuff. So it's a great chemical to use on your keyboard to test it. (laughs) Uh, But if you want to peel paint off of a finish that's not done well, pour this perfume on it and, you know, dab a little bit on it and let it sit for a couple hours. It'll peel and crack and graze. If it's well, not done right. Large it's ingredient well. is, is alcohol. What's the active chemical that's, It's you know. not listed on it. It just says, you know, carrier with natural flavors or whatever. Uh-huh. It's, it, and, but there was some lab, I think it was probably Cal's, you know, had the, the grad students go through 2000 different, bottles of perfume and figure out which one was the worst. <laughs> I'd be a lot of testing and not trying to do analysis. I'd, I'd say, you know, um, to me that more straightforward would be understanding what, what the chemical breakdown is or whatever the process, this, this, you know, oh, you would think, I would yeah. be surprised that, that that kind of concentration that would be on your face and hopefully not still wet, you know, you, you don't you don't soak yourself in perfume. Hopefully, well, no, some was, some women may. You yeah, know I mean? I've run into a few. Yeah, yeah, but but it can happen. But I mean, it's it's amazing to me of all the different ways we go about, you know, torturing products that basically let them you know make them give up our our their secrets of how they fail. But then we keep inventing new atmospheres, new, I mean, just think of the, and you used to work in the wafer fab industry, right? You, you did not put your head inside one of those chambers to see what's up. You know, it's no, <laughs> no, 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 no. It was pretty nasty actually. You know, I worked with INM planters that used arsenic pentafluoride, boron trifluoride and, and the phosphorus. Uh, I think it was, phosphorus pentafluoride and yeah. it was just nasty stuff and i you know probably i didn't work under a fume hood or anything i mean there well, think, this explains a lot yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> you know blowing out ion sources with you know that had probably pregnanted with uh, arsenic phosphorus mm-hmm. Whatever, and I'm not going to worry about it now. It's, you know, that's it a path. It is what it is, yeah. It you, is what it is. I was at, Also, there were x-rays because of high-speed electrons coming back at, you know, 200 kilovolt, uh, mm-hmm. 400 kilovolt um, electrons hitting metal causes x-rays. So it was, you know, that's the risk of, those are the scary things that you can't see, like, yeah. you know, spooky, uh, that you just, 
you know, you don't know that you're getting exposed to. But I guess the most unusual uh, experience I had was trying to convince a company that was making uh, voltage-controlled oscillators, VCOs. Um, and they had a, a little of a reactor in there that was failing. And, you know, it's, a, it's only a device that had maybe 10 or 15 components, and it was only, you know, a quarter inch by quarter inch mm-hmm. or something like that. Very, very small with a physical, actually physical coil, which had to be tuned, which was amazing watching the guys uh, in a microscope trying to pull this little tiny spring coil apart uh, at the size it was. Anyway, so there was a reactor in that, that, and of course that's a diode that used as a variable capacitor when you reverse bias it, and you can actually, that variable capacitance can be used to, uh, I think it's an, um, simple, it's a simple uh, oscillator circuit. I forget the name of it, but anyway... So they were failing a little bit in time, and I did an investigation, really went deep into this, took the Varactor, took a bunch of these diodes to a uh, uh, failure analysis lab that could do cross-sectioning, X-ray, and all that. And what they found is inside this tiny little single PN junction was the wire bonds, the wire, the gold wire that had uh went to the p and one come out the end were actually had been evaporated and in the epoxy uh encapsulant channel the gold had stuck you know evaporated well, technically Kurt is deposited deposited <laughs> right evaporated and redeposited on the walls of the channel that, probably super uh, thin and, and not uniform super thin very you know view probably gold um couple of atoms thick kind yeah, of thing. touching each other so because a varactor is a um voltage device not a current device it doesn't have to carry much current because all you're doing is reverse biasing and it very little uh current runs through it mm-hmm. um that it worked even under those conditions even with that just little trace of gold left in those well, how did you find the that it was just a tube not a watt trace any we're not a wire anymore how did we cross-sectioned it and they they ground it down and as they got close to the diode itself and saw the cross-section of the diode they saw that you know as they could see that the gold was just around the yeah, outside yeah okay. they All could right. see the gold in that channel wow and i showed and I showed the pictures to the head of the company, who was supposedly an engineer. I don't think he was because he inherited it mm-hmm. from his dad. And in fact, the head engineering, the head of engineering there, said he was an idiot. Anyway, <laughs> which he proved later, because then he came up with this idea. Because he wouldn't, you know, these were provided by some huge like Toshiba or whoever makes billions and billions of these tiny little diodes, right. you know, on a tape reel and. Uh, and you know, this guy, this older idiot came up with an idea that this happened during a lightning storm because he looked at the date codes that this was shipped or whatever these were made or whatever. He says, and and of course it was a small uh, group in in the lot that had, Mm -hmm. that had been damaged somewhere along the line, but he had proposed and he, he came up with his weird, scary scenario of 
that that day there was a lot of lightning in the area and that during these single tests, which is a, a oscilloscope or automatic tester, you put it in there and mm -hmm. it does a couple steps of voltage and then looks at the uh, output uh, frequencies. Okay. That it had traveled through this whole building system, uh, the wiring, and had gotten through this oscilloscope and gotten into the test rig and gotten into that one device and it had destroyed and this it, one it set gold up lead. this huge <laughs> pulse that would have evaporated the gold but kept the diode functionally intact was was the problem. And they went out and they got all kinds of uh, lightning sensor uh, power monitoring and they spent ridiculous amounts of money when I showed them that, you know, I said, I doubt that you'll ever find this again. It was probably something that happened during their final test of these in a tape reel or something along the line. Somebody touched ESD, you know, somehow this huge pulse of energy had mm -hmm. gone through, but it had only been enough to destroy the wire and not the diode itself or damage the diode itself internally because it functioned. So and it was just like, this has got to be another world that this guy's coming up with this idea. <laughs> and had the resources to say, I'm going to prove it, you know. <laughs> and it was like, you know, a bunch of followers saying, oh, yeah, we'll do this. And, you know, his head of uh, some of his engineering staff, yeah, we're going to go. And they got these power people coming into the building and monitoring the, and, you know, doing all this. And it's not – that was it was virtually impossible for what his scenario was. Yeah. But that's the way people explain away things maybe that they, you know, oh, they couldn't send us, you know, Toshiba or our or process Intel. is too good for but, that. Blah, yeah, blah, blah. But they could never send us a bad part. Well, no. No. I I don't trust vendors all that much all the way from the start. I remember one time we had a um uh, uh crystal in a metal can. Right. The crystal broke. Right, and I've seen that too. Yeah, and so we opened it up, you know, it's a little Dremel saw blade type thing, and cut the top off uh -huh. this thing, and, and yeah. I was like, oh, the the epoxy that holds the crystal to the little paddles, the little leads mm -hmm. that come up to it, right. Right. only went part way across the paddles, so, and that created a stress concentration, and that right. was exactly where the crack occurred, and right. then it failed, and. So we sent pictures and everything else back to the vendor, and he says, that's not possible. Um, okay. <laughs> We're just Photoshopping these pictures for the fun of it? You know? Right, yeah. And he says, well, what do you do to make sure that this doesn't happen? And this being it breaks, he says, well, we drop test it. And I says, okay, what, describe that to me, please. And they said, well, we take 10 uh, crystals, uh, you know, and we hold them about three feet, you know, a meter above the floor. Well, what's on the floor? Well, carpet. <laughs> and we drop it. Oh, yeah. Is it on a circuit board or is it on anything? No, no, no. It's just a crystal. We don't make circuit boards. We make crystals. And we drop it a few times and then we check it and it's fine. It always passes. I'm like, oh, okay. You know, it's like, yeah, I know. Right? How about your process for actually applying the epoxy? Oh, What's that got to do with it? This is, you know, <laughs> like, uh, yeah. come on. <laughs> the problem with these little parts is unless you're the vendor, you're the OEM or receiving it, having to 
malfunction that uh, and also really willing to go into this and not saying, well, I just got some bad parts. And, you know, you really want to find out the root cause. It's it's uh, quite a challenge on some tiny little crystal device that may cost a nickel in quantity or some. Well, you yeah, know, no, I agree with that. It's very difficult to get people inv invested and, or if you're a small uh, uh, customer relative to, you know, car mm -hmm. companies or something, it's really hard to get attention about a batch, uh, a, a lot to lot variation or a lot to lot batch that had, you know, and, and crystals are common as far as uh, cutting the crystal. And I've seen other people report on, you know, crystals being a problem. Yeah. Uh, doing yeah, it's just a piece of quartz. It's a piece of glass piece of quartz, standing, right. standing there. And you, just because it's a metal can doesn't mean it's all that safe. Right. Just like a Varactor is just a little diode. It's just yeah. a tiny one single PN junction. Yeah. It's, yeah, this one, that's so inexpensive. And they're produced at such high volume generally that it's really hard to, um, you know, some and some some devices, you know, that Varactor failing wouldn't cause a uh, absolute failure in maybe someplace else or mm -hmm. whatever. It's again the application of the part and yeah. what that crystal is used for. Yeah, and that's the hard part. I well, anyway, there's there's so many stories and usually involve somebody with the harebrained idea or just well that'll never happen and then it gets to the field and it happens or or <laughs> the real horror stories is when i got a phone call one time from a colleague of mine that i used to work with and he said you know this is completely off the record i'm calling you from my home phone and i thought about going to a pay phone um we're not allowed to talk about this what are you talking? yeah what are yeah, you talking about analysis, and he's yeah. like um we're not allowed to call the vendor, but you're in corporate. Maybe you could get a hold of somebody, but you can't tell them what it's about. I'm like, okay, this is really not a whole lot of helpful stuff. But he, the, the end of the, the long part of that story was, is they said, I said, well, what's the problem? And he says, well, we're, we're having a visual thermal event occur with our product. A what? A visual, a visual thermal, thermal event. event. <laughs> is that like a fire? No, 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 you can't say that. <laughs> so once the lawyers get involved, you know, once the lawyers get involved, then all hell breaks loose. That's that's when you know you're going to have a bad day. Well, once the lawyers involved, um, what I had a problem with was uh, at at a large company um, that they uh, would would close the case to the rest of the rely. It was a need to know basis, and then it was like. You know, everything that went to that we knew had to be uh, turned over to the uh, uh, the opposite I guess side the yeah. Pro prosecution. Yeah, yeah, whatever the other company was, there had to be. Uh, well, it's uh, part uh, of discovery. So Right. So discovery. Right. So we, we never got involved. I mean, it would be, it would don't be write nothing down. Don't work on it. People. Yeah. Right. Don't touch it anymore. People. We didn't know nothing about it. We, you know, we don't know where it came from. We do our final standard. You wouldn't test. get any listing. You wouldn't get any benefit from the failure occurring. You wouldn't know what to do, you know, and that's well, the, the whole hard part. And you went to the room and said, you guys don't, we're not going to leave the room with any information here because we want to talk about, and this is, this is where conferences and every place else that you really get real stories, mm -hmm. guys that are 
talking to you and may exchange information that they wouldn't normally write down because, you know, the, well, that was the idea that, so confidential. Yeah. Well, that was the idea of the, that Halloween meeting is it, it was a mix of bad yeah. management decisions, but it also was like yeah. the stories you were yeah. talking about, a, a really odd failure mechanism, but you don't really know if this is in, major amount of your production or is it how much have we got shipped here you know what what's the right. risk here right those right. kinds of things are real and i agree yeah. with you kirk and it's a way of wrapping this one up is that i mean those kinds of things yeah your marketing team and your legal team probably don't want you talking about it but it is something that we need to sanitize to a point where it's but to the point where it's still useful you know, where, right. We need to spread the information about the causes of right. unreliability. Right. Oh, yeah. We need to share that, but we can't. I mean, that's well. It's not that we can't. Is that we're there's so many barriers to it. <laughs> well, right? that's it, what I mean. That's what you mean. Yeah. NDAs. NDAs. Yeah. There's all kinds of stuff, but it it goes a long way to do a good due diligence, do the good failure analysis, do the, you know, make a big, good, solid business case for what you're doing. Right. All of right. those things make a difference. Right. So if you're enjoying Halloween and listening to our podcast, which all the brilliant, smart reliability professionals in the world are doing, of course, um, let us know what your horror story is. What kind of things have you run in uh, that are worth sharing so that other people can learn? But also, you know, we're like, what were they thinking? What's the deal here? How, how, how did this happen? Those kind of things just make for good stories, I think. So if you've got something like that, let us know. Head over to ascendoreliability.com slash go slash SOR. And you can find Kirk and I and the other hosts of the show on LinkedIn, plus on our about pages. There's plenty of ways for you to get in touch with us. So um, enjoy the rest of the, the day here, here in, in the U.S. anyway. It's uh, Halloween. And I, other parts of the world celebrate variations of this one point <laughs> or the other, but uh, whether it's um, taking the kids out trick or treating or, or having a nice meal with your friends, whatever, enjoy. But uh, we would like to hear from you. It's always a pleasure. So th thanks much, yep. Kirk. Always well, a pleasure. thank you, Fred. And uh, I hope everybody out there has no gremlins get into their new designs. Yep. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty spooky. That's right. <laughs> it All can right. Be. Take care, Fred. Thanks, Kirk. Thanks for listening to Speaking of Reliability. We invite you to join the conversation if you have a question or a topic that you think we should discuss in a future show. Please let us know. You can find a comment box below the episode show notes or just leave a note as part of a review on iTunes. <laughs>